Welcome to the A to C podcast. We're your unfiltered ticket to the world behind high achievers of every kind. No ads here. It's just pure value. So do me a favor and share this if you find some inspiration, motivation, or something else in between. Authentic, no constraints, no limits. Let's go. We don't have a structure, dude. We just talk about all the dirtiest, nittiest, grittiest things. I think yesterday masturbation came up and um, with this super Christian dude. <laughs> funny but oh how you been i've been good man i've been good i've been going through it but i've been good <laughs> what do you mean going through it this year has been all about i know we get lost in each other's algorithms sometimes and stuff like that but this year for me has all been all about figuring out this solopreneur gig i spent the first 14 years of my career with teams and big sales teams and constantly having to show up and do training with a bunch of people and all that kind of stuff and dealing with all the personalities and everything. And now I have a, a whopping team of four and two of them are VAs and one of them stateside. And so it's just, it's different now. I went from managing multiple sales teams to uh, consulting full-time. And so now multi-million dollar company to maybe I'll close out at 300K this year. So it's just it's a whole new identity on the business side for me. I was more of the facilitator, delegator before, and now I'm like doing half the work and then delegating the rest. What What was the catalyst for all that change? I actually posted about it today. As cheesy and cliche as it sounds, it was core values. Mm-hmm. And after I got a divorce in 2019, and after that divorce, I realized that just personally, I wasn't living by core values or any values. <laughs> it was just like my own set. I wasn't really living biblically or by even like the world standard. And so I decided because my issues were infidelity and getting too big for my britches, business was making millions of dollars traveling everywhere. So I was one person on the road, one person at home. And so we separated and, and divorced. And I decided from that moment forward that I was going to be a man of integrity. It's got deep fast. <laughs> That's where it's supposed to go. Yeah. Um, We're not balls deep, then where are we at? Yeah, it must be the new background. I feel like it's just like very enticing. Tell me all your secrets. <laughs> I want the dirt. Yeah, I want all the dirty details. Yeah. I'm driving from Corpus Christi to San Antonio, and I just, I do, I make the decision. So up through like tw- tw- the end of 22, I have personally been like, Ride or die, man of integrity. I'm telling you the truth, no matter what. Uh, me and my wife ended up reconciling, but I dated in between. Everybody I told exactly why we broke up. I cheated. I got too big for my britches. I was unfaithful, whatever the case is. So we're starting from everything kind of thing. And then I started doing the same thing on social media too, where I was forthright about my past. And I joined uh, Apex at the end of 21, I think. Yeah, MDM21 is when I joined. And I heard about these core values. And I'm like, I've been doing that. But they're like, no, you got to do them in your business too. And I'm like, oh shit. I know my VP of sales. I know he cheats on his wife. I already knew that going in. That's going to be an issue. Okay. I know some of my sales guys bend the truth when they're talking to customers. So I have to dial that in. And I also know that on the solar side of the business, we're overpaying our salespeople in commissions. So it was like all these different things I knew in my business 
up until that point, I was like, personally, I'm doing the right things. And now I had to transfer it over to my business. And long story short, core values systematically destroyed my business, which obviously that's what I wanted to happen. And I was never really comfortable with it going from seven figures to six like that. But now looking back, I'm completely comfortable with it. And I can honestly say all the decisions I make, everything that I do is based on those values now. Dude, how does that, because I'm sure you've had a lot of sleepless nights through that process. Because as a man in business, so my whole life in business for myself, trying to get up to that seven figure plus mark, I remember the journey and, and it keeps you up all night. I, I can't on the way back down and then knowing and recognizing that the way down is caused by um, something fucking benevolent and right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's ha- there has to have been moments. I'm just saying for me, I'd keep on the journey because I'm real big about core values. Everyone that works with me can attest to that. But right. I'd be a liar if I said I wouldn't stare at the ceiling a lot of nights and be like, maybe I should go back to being a dickhead. It yeah. would cross my mind. No, absolutely. And the things that have crossed my mind consistently is, hey, maybe I just need to. So in my post this morning, I said, the devil whispers in your ear, but it's not what you think. It's things like, hey, you need to take care of your family. You should get a job. Hey, if you're worried about making payroll, you shouldn't have a business in the first place. He's whispering those things. They're not necessarily bad. That's the trick with them. And so my wife has asked me several times, hey, because as we have, we've been financially unstable this year for the first time. And it's crazy. I was doing better when we were divorced. And like literally paying her more than I'm making now, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Uh, Being divorced. And it has, I've, it's a lot of identity crisis because a lot of my identity was tied up in being a successful entrepreneur before. And then we get in these groups like you and I are in, and then it's even more than, yeah, I'm a seven-figure entrepreneur. That's like a big part of our identity. And it shouldn't be, but it can be if you let it. And yeah, several times I've thought about getting a job. I've gotten into partnerships I probably shouldn't have gotten into. Mm-hmm. I saw all the red flags in the beginning, but I was like, hey, I need to be able to sell these products or I need to be able to fulfill these things for my clients. So I'm going to overlook some things. And that only lasted five months. And so I got out of that partnership. But it, you do, and it, it, it's not this perfect like ascension. You don't decide to live on core values or to operate on core values, and all of a sudden you're just like perfect at it. You make every decision perfectly, like you still fuck up. And it's like one of my core values is we operate with integrity, right? And this is for building great sales teams, my consulting company. But the other one is we foster relationships, and it's if you want to foster relationships, you can't always tell the exact truth, right? <laughs> so those two conflict with each other. Like, does this and dress then, make me look fat? Yeah, exactly. That's well, a perfect example of that. I like you know? the black one better. <laughs> we install excellence. There's another one. It's like, all right, so what I'm doing for a lot of my clients right now is bridging that gap between sales and CRM, right? Understanding, okay, the campaign we or the program we have operating here can operate through technology and automation, right? And that that messaging has to be good throughout, but I'm also very new to that space where I'm operating with this technology, I'm designing follow-up campaigns and designing these plans and everything, but I don't know how to install them. 
And so I have to make sure that the people I'm working with are very good at what they do. And luckily they are, but at the same time, it's like we install excellence. That's so hard to do when you don't know everything about the whole process from ground up. And so you spend a lot of time kind of honing these things in and even changing some of the values because you can't hold up some of them. And yeah, it's, it's definitely difficult. I've had bills I can't pay this year. I'm saying for the first time in 15 years, but when I look at, all right, there's two major things for me, the way I'm operating and then the way I show for my family, right? And when I look at my schedule, when I look at how I show up for my family this year versus previous years, when I look at, I like who I am, I'm proud of who I am. You know what I'm saying? I'm not 10 to 10 on the business side yet because I've had to re I've had to learn this whole new business called consulting and now coaching and I've had to learn it and I've had to learn marketing. I've never had to do that before. I'm salesman through and through. I built sales programs and then my guys went and executed them. And so it's been a uncomfortable year to say the least, but I can see the same way I saw me setting everything up back when I was 23 years old and I just started my door-to-door sales company. I can see that now how I'm setting everything up now, I'm setting up strong foundations. I'm glad we got into this because so this whole podcast is about successful people doing successful things. And you and I met in, in an arena of seemingly successful people doing successful things, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm really glad we've already taken this turn because it's, I think folks don't realize the most, some of the, all the most successful people I know like, are in this, they are in this, the struggle never stops. In fact, it amplifies and you get better you increase your capacity to overcome and all these things, but it's not just like a business struggle. And I think it's pretty damn cool. I want to stay on the topic of talking about success doesn't just happen at, in the workplace. What what mm-hmm. the fuck was the point of success in the workplace if you couldn't have success at home in the first place? Yeah, my my twenties were full of success in the workplace and mediocrity and under delivering at home. And the guys that I'm looking up to have both. And they don't just have both on social media. They have both when I show up to their house and we hang out, we break bread. That's where I want to, that's when I can really know this is somebody that I'm going to look up to, or this is somebody that I'm going to develop a a long-term relationship with. I see it here locally, like in San Antonio, guys that I've met in Apex or RBO or Success Champions Network is another group that I'm in. I get to actually hang out with them in person see, and then invite them over for barbecues, see them around their kids and stuff like that. And you get to really audit your circle then. That's the tough part about the groups that we're in and the age of digital entrepreneurship is you don't see what's behind the screen. And it's very hard to audit that stuff. But going back to what you're saying, this is, so like I said, we separated in 18, divorced in 19. So I would say this is four years in the making that it took me to really get my shit together. Even though I knew there was a problem, it took four years to find good operating systems, good people around me, and good disciplines to stay in in this lane. And values, like that's one thing you brought up. Like it took you four years to find core values that not only made you a better person, verifiably a better and a great person, but core values, you have the current capacity to uphold. Yes. Um, dude, that's massive because there's so many people it's hey what are your core values and they're like oh have a six-pack look at me motherfucker i don't 
there's no way I'm going to have a six pack today. A core value mine could be prioritize the improving of my health. That would be a better core value than have a six pack because I get to wake up every day and look in the mirror and realize what a piece of shit I am because I can't meet my own values. How is anyone right. else gonna, ever going to meet my value? I think that's a great point. Like your, your core values should not be something that you're not setting the example of today. They, they, they should not. You could be working towards something like that, but it, like you said, if you don't have a six pack, that should not be a core value. That's an easy one because you can physically see it. But it, if your business, your personal life, your friendships, your relationships aren't operating under that value that you're claiming to have, then you have to audit it and make sure that they are. And then you, then and only then I feel like, can you put that out to your company, put that out to your family? Yeah. Core values aren't goals. They're things that they're standards you uphold that drive you to not only be good now, but be better tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And as you're better tomorrow, I like the word you're using audit. As you continue to audit the core values you are upholding, you tweak that language eventually. Like if you cons- consistently stick to I'm going to improve my health daily. Eventually, maybe your core value can be have a six pack, but it's fucking not today. It makes you a liar to have that today. Yeah. Um, So what core values did you audit and tweak? And So where I'm at now is I have my family ones that I have the business ones. My family ones are value family, right? So I grew up, family was just by blood. I didn't really understand the concept of family, right? Because I didn't have a good one growing up. Mom and dad weren't super present and dad died when I was 19 from alcoholism. I went and moved in with my aunt when I was 13. So I didn't have that or found my, my aunt was my family. She still is today. I, I call her on mother's day. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I uh, make sure I show up for her, her, what do you call it? When they're your kids, but by marriage, stepkids. Step- yeah. Mm-hmm. Stepkids. Yeah. I show up for her stepkids, weddings and events and life events and stuff like that. So value family is a big one because it did. It took me probably about 30 years to really do that the right way. Have integrity. That's my personal number one. And then be grateful, do the work and follow Christ. And I feel do the work probably in five years will change to be present because the goal is by then to have that re-architect that lifestyle that brought me the income I had before only working 15 to 20 hours a week like I was before. And I get to live in the way I want to live. And I get to be present in every moment because I'm not, I don't have the business in the back of my head, just sitting there waiting to take up space. You know what I'm saying? Mentally. Yeah. Dude, I love your realistic timelines too. Five years from now. And, and that's with you already having done it once or twice before. Mm-hmm. Everybody comes into a business or fitness or even relationships and they expect that, hey, I'm just going to be at this place tomorrow. I'm going to do good things. And so tomorrow I'm going to see good things. And it's not that way. Like you see an ugly side of everything for a long damn time. It takes years and like, it takes so much time of doing good things without seeing good things come from it yet to finally have that on the back end. So kudos on your timelines. And I hope it happens faster. I really do. I think it's more for me. That's right. It it's that timeline for two reasons. One, just I know what it takes to get there. But two, that's right around the time my daughter will be graduating high school. My my sons will be deep into sports and high school events and all that stuff. So it will be uh, a time when I need to be doing that anyways, working a lot less to, to show up for them in probably the most formative years of their lives. And as we move into college or move going overseas and setting them up over there, whatever they decide to do. 
leap year, all that stuff will happen for five or six years in a row with all three kids. They'll go through all their phases. And so I want to be there for all of that. I don't want to still be behind a computer screen 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Damn. So what else is, what else have you been up to? It's been a hard year and I echo that sense. It's has been a weird year. Like it has yeah. been weirder than 2020. 2020, like we, we rocked it. We had so many good things happening. Mm-hmm. This has been a really weird year. So what else is well, going I think, on? I think we got to provide the context, right? We, you and I both know why that's happening right now versus three years ago when the government was flooding money into the economy, <laughs> you know I'm saying? Oh, right. And so we benefited from that for two years. I feel like whether we got PPP, EIDL, ERC, none of that. Or just the fact that everybody's, everybody else's access to money was so much easier. Yes. You didn't it even was, have to sell. They had to give it out somewhere. Yeah, exactly. And it, there was a lot of overtaking that happened. And, and I, I'd be lying if I didn't say because... I did take some of those government funds and I was able to secure my people's salaries and cost of living and stuff like that for 2020. And then even some of 21 and 22, I was able to experiment too with this money because I had it. And that's a a lot of it was for, right? That's what the ERC is for research. And what it did, it, it affected me in a negative way in that it gave me a false sense of success. If I was being honest with myself. And so anytime that I would have normally not made payroll and had to go get a loan in the past, I had the cash in the bank. I'm saying. And 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 that's just something that's normal in business. Whether it's getting shut down in 2020 and you can't knock doors, you can't bring in an income, or it's them the city having a new solar regulation about permits or something like that. And permits take two weeks longer and all of a sudden you're out of cash for two weeks. Little things like that. But I didn't have to pivot. I didn't have to like jump through hoops to make those things happen because I had the cash on hand. And then I went deep in self-development. I went deep in the groups that some of the groups that we're in and Apex and RBO and some of these other groups that I'm a part of. And I showed up to everything and I did everything. I easily in 22 and 23, I spent probably 100 to 150 on growth and development. And don't get me wrong, I could not be doing what I was doing today. I wouldn't have learned the core values. I wouldn't have had the examples of the men that were around me that I was able to reconcile with my wife because of I'd spend it all day, every day. I'd learned those hard lessons where I shouldn't have spent it over and over again to get the whole pie. But yeah, it definitely created, it made me a little soft, honestly. <laughs> it did, straight up. It made me a little soft. And so when we came out of it, and all of a sudden, we had to start putting the nose to the grindstone again. And I did. I had to lift up my company for six months until I was fed up with it. I had to create this consulting income and basically take consulting funds to pay for the solar division or take consulting funds to pay for the AT&T division to make sure we made payroll and stuff like that because we had so much development and research going on in, in those businesses. Solar's brand new. They're still brand new. And then the AT&T business was not door-to-door anymore. It was completely relationship-based in apartment complexes. And so that was still, we were still developing. That was fairly brand new. And so I made it happen for six months straight. And then I got tired of propping these companies up and the leaders up and the core values not being followed through with. And it all came to a head in, at MDM 22. And I had to cut my regional director for AT&T loose. 
And then six months later, my VP of sales for the whole company. And then I went full-time consulting after that. Damn, dude. Yeah. What? How's your family benefiting? I can imagine there's some struggles at the family level because anytime there's mm-hmm. there's financial stress, it creates family stress. And in a perfect world, you wish it wouldn't, but it, it fucking does. Well, yeah. What's the good stuff that's coming out of it? The The good thing is we've never, the kids have never really been spoiled. And if they were spoiled, it was with experiences, but they didn't really know that they didn't really notice the experiences slowed down. If that makes sense. They still see their dad flying all over the country, visiting clients, doing podcasts. So like to them, I'm busy, I'm working, I'm successful. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's not about the dollars to them. And I have a year ago, my burn rate was probably 15K a month. And now it's six. So I've completely cut all the bullshit. You know what I'm saying? And then on the business end, it was like 25, 30K a month. And now it's six also. Crazy low. So we've adjusted where we need to, so it hasn't affected them. And and anytime we need something, all of a sudden client pays an invoice, I get a new client, I close a sale. It always happens that way. Because where we are, a lot of it is faith-based. When I start every month, I'm immediately five grand behind. I know I've, I know I've got to go out and sell five grand. Then anything after that is the cherry on top. And so, but you asked earlier what I've got. Oh yeah, about the kids. So they're not seeing it a whole lot. If anything, they're seeing a better version of their dad. Because when they have something going on, I'm a hundred percent showing up. And I've done that for the last couple of years, but even more so now to where we're like, my daughter had a basketball trials this morning. So last night we were at the court working on her layups and working on her jumper and defense and all that stuff. And I don't know about other people's kids. And once you create a standard of living, they're going to notice if it goes down, but we never really lived crazy before. You know what I'm saying? We we pretty much lived middle-class before and we're still living middle-class. So they're not really seeing a whole lot of difference, but I would venture to say that your kids don't care about that anyways. They care about you showing up for their basketball tryouts or practicing with them or like my nine-year-old, he still plays with boxes and makes them into spaceships and stuff doing that kind of stuff with them. So I don't think they've been affected too much by it. Now, my wife and my relationship, because there's 100% transparent communication and she always knows what my plan is and what's going on, we're going through this together and we're strengthening that resilience muscle together. And now she's an entrepreneur too. She started her brick and mortar tutoring business a year and a half ago. Every now and then, it's all of a sudden, she's coming in with a check. And it's, oh, cool, that's the truck payment this month, or that's the rent, or whatever the case is, the mortgage. And so she's able to have some pride behind that too. Whereas before, she was always a teacher, and I was making 10 times as much as her. You know what I'm saying? Now she's got that where she comes home, and and it's beautiful because she gets to work 25 to 30 hours a week and make pretty much 75% of what she's making before. But she has complete control where she can take a day off, take a weekend off or whatever the case is, the government can't tell her when she can take off work. Doesn't have to do some stupid state training for something you're not going to teach kids anyways because it's immoral and stupid. And Exactly. <laughs> Man, that's crazy. What is her business again? She does tutoring and it's mainly for homeschool kids. Mm-hmm. Basically, the parents homeschool, mom stays home and homeschool or we want to be a PC, dad stays home and homeschools. 
But either way, that parent typically isn't equipped for all the subjects. There's a weak point the kid has or a weak point the parent has. And so they take they take the kid once a week or twice a week to her brick and mortar location and she does tutoring with them for an hour uh, once or twice a week is what most of her clients do. And, they, and she bridges those gaps for them because she's got her master's in curriculum and reading and math. Yeah, that's pretty damn cool. Homeschool is crazy, dude. It's not like when we grew up. When we grew up, homeschool is like, if you were homeschooled- You're weird. You were weird. No, <laughs> I know a couple kids that turned out pretty okay. And, but like most of the kids that were homeschooled during the time we grew up, they've struggled, they still to this day struggle socially. They struggle professionally. They, uh-huh. which is, it really sucks for them because I know some really good people, but yeah, they're fucking weird. But so like we did homeschool for a little bit through COVID. Yeah. Best decision ever. Like our kids to this day, and that was years ago at this point. And to this day, our kids are still literally grades ahead on academics versus, and socially they're not behind, which is awesome because it was so different. It was like two hours a day, you're through the curriculum as good or better because your kid didn't have to stand in line at the water fountain for half an hour and all this other shit. But then, yeah, we didn't have any tutors or anything. But what they would do is like literally daily, we had this homeschool group and in the height of COVID, and keep in mind, we were in Southern Utah at the point, which is pretty anti-establishment. Yeah, no, <laughs> I love ways. Utah. I love Utah. But it, in fact, Trevor and Kale, my, my office yeah. was, my office is like two blocks from theirs when we were there. Um, love that. But literally like every day, dude, for two, three hours, they'd meet up at the park and they do a little lesson here or there. And this mom was really good at that or that dad was really good at this. And they do a co-op, and, right? Yeah. And it was like this co-op and then all the kids would just go play for hours. And, and so they got the social side as well. Plus like school and public programs, city programs or whatever have gotten to where it doesn't matter if you're homeschooled, like you can come and participate in the school sports and the, which yeah. is a huge deal. So I feel like our kids were actually, they came out ahead. We've even talked about doing it again. Cause dude, we got so much quality time as a family. If I wanted to on a Wednesday, just wake up, skip work and take the boys hunting. I did. And it was great. It was like the best thing ever. That's, I don't know. that's amazing. You know what I'm saying? Like when you think about how we grew up, if, if you were in public education, I don't know, but I was in public education, like they did, they tried their best to turn us into worker bees, schedule time, this time to that time. And it was cramming everything in through the day and 90% of it you didn't need. And what I love about it, and I get the educator side of this too. They're not happy about it either. The really good ones that work 50 hours a week and kill themselves for these kids, they do. They want to scrap half the curriculum because it's they they know it's not going to develop their problem solving skills. It, it makes them into order takers, most of the curriculum. And it's getting better and, and, and teachers are, are finding out ways to like circumvent the system a little bit and create the same result, but do it through critical problem solving. And uh, it's so cool to see it, it's not going to be long before that whole thing comes crum- crumbling down. Public education in general is just another government business that too many people are eating off of. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I, d- I don't think educators are the problem, except where educators are out fucking students. That's a problem. But yeah. <laughs> beyond, beyond that, I don't think they're the problem. I think 
they're they're trapped in the middle between what feeds their own family yeah. and and knowing what's good, right, and true and whatever. And I say it's going to come crashing down. I don't know because then propped up for a long time, dude. Yeah, 80, 80% of parents are lazy, right? So they want to send their kids somewhere and get rid of them. And then that's the difference between homeschooling and sending your kids to public school. And, and some parents don't have a choice. I understand that. I'm not saying that. But there's a difference in the parents that my wife dealt with where it was like, you couldn't get a hold of them. They didn't want to show up for nothing. And the parents that were like, oh, Tommy misbehaved in class today and they're there it's sitting in the classroom oh i'll i'll take off work i'll lose some money you're not gonna do that you know what i'm saying and you could tell the difference like immediately but it was rare it was and so i think if you 100 percent recommend homeschooling over public education and, and my kids are in public education because well, my, my wife right now yeah my wife is running a business but she's ready as soon as she also over communicates with the teachers and they know the teachers know if they slip up, she's going to be on them because she knows their job inside an hour. So it's cool to have that happy medium. But anyways, she, she's also said several times, I'm ready. If we don't feel like they're getting what they need, I'll, I'll come back home. And I said, Hey, I'm ready too. Like we're, we're doing okay now, but I can make whatever I need to make happen to replace your income. That's not a big deal. That's where we're at. So my wife works in my business. Actually, she's our full-time event coordinator. Nice. But it's not necessarily a full-time job. With <laughs> some weeks, it's 10 hours. Some weeks, it's 30 plus. Um, but it's very flexible. And we put them back in public school. It wasn't even because they were getting some of the, or, or most of the, all of the social stuff. In fact, I think they were even getting more social practice than this structured recess and all this other crap, right? Um, but with COVID waning and going away and a lot of those parents pulled their kids out. And so those groups got a lot smaller, smaller all of a sudden again. And so we, we put them back in for that. And I will say, like at that time, we were just outside of Las Vegas in Boulder City. And Boulder City was just phenomenal. Yes, they were still part of the Clark County School District, which is egregious as far as, you know, their board of education. But Boulder City was out there just far enough that they were just like, fuck you. What are you going to do? kick us out. <laughs> yeah. Are we going to go yeah. to Kingman, Arizona? Cause that's the next stop. Um, so they just did their own thing and they were phenomenal. That was such a good school. And then up here in Idaho has been great. The thing though, that I feel like makes it good for my boys. Like I got home last night, once a month, I do a training for one of my groups and advanced markets, retirement planning and life insurance training. Right. Mm -hmm. And so once a month on that night, I'm home later, like eight 30, or, or whatever. And I get home, the boys are already getting ready for bed, but both of them are just bragging. Like my six-year-old, he'll be seven in a couple of weeks here. Just bragging. Cause he just hit, what was it? Like 32 or 33 books read for the school year for the fucking wow. school year. They just started three months ago. Yeah. And he, no, yeah, that's, yeah. Like 11 books a month and his, a, his AR reading test and everything, he's hitting like 90, 95, hundred percentile. Smoking it. Just doing a great job. My older boy is the same way. He's already got 700% of his annual reading goal that they had assigned him. But I feel like <laughs> it's because my wife's there. Yeah. She takes every, it's every Tuesday, Thursday, one of the days she helps in one of my boys' classes. The other day she helps in the other. And then half the, our whole block, it, it's this cool place we moved to, but our whole block just has kids our, our kids' age. And so all the moms up the block are taking a day as well to help in classes. And it's just, 
everybody's so invested. It's this culture. And I don't think, I'm not so naive as to believe that exists in our whole school district, right? right. But at our school, and it's not a private school, it's just a public school. In fact, it's not even the fancy one. It's the old rundown one. We live clear out on the edge of town and in, in this newer neighborhood, but there's not, there hasn't been a school built out here for freaking five decades, but everybody's just invested. They just, I don't know, it's, it's cool and my boys are thriving. So when you talk about parents getting involved, um, I've seen that in, in my yeah. boys' educations here. It's Idaho. Idaho is not known for its high test scores. We take no, off that's... days to farm potatoes, dude. <laughs> yeah. Now you hit a lick there, man. Getting to be around that's amazing. I'm experiencing a little bit of that where I'm at now because I'm in a small town, 30 minutes outside of San Antonio. And so it is very, the values are on the right, Christian country folk, you know what I'm saying? Like they're raising chickens to eat. I got Jason Aldean, try that in a small town. Yeah, exactly. We just went to a bonfire a couple of weeks ago for the football team for homecoming when the whole town was there. It's just crazy. And we're starting, we're, we've been here three years now. We're starting to recognize people. You know what I'm saying? It, it, I think there's 2,800 in this town. So Damn. it's just, and it's exactly why we made the decision about a year in living here. That's, hey, we're staying here. This is where our kids are going to grow up because we like the community. And that's so important. People don't place enough emphasis on that anymore when it comes to raising their family. There's a reason that saying, there's a saying that takes a village. And I do, I'll have one of my daughter's friends, dads reach out to me and say, Hey, your daughter said, you said it was okay for her to go to the homecoming game with us. And he'll check with me first. <laughs> and that's awesome because we have a relationship because our kids are friends. And that's just, you just don't see that anymore. I, I, you, I don't. You don't. Yeah. It doesn't exist. We, like I'll admit, moving up here, I was excited to move up. We're real big into the camping and dirt biking, and it's so much better up here than it was in Vegas. And we weren't even in Vegas. We were in Boulder City. But mm-hmm. like I say, to go camping, the nearest get out of the heat camping, it's Flagstaff, Arizona, or all the way up to Caliente near Elko, Nevada. And it you got to go through the city. Just a real pain in the ass. I was excited for that. We've known, we've been up and around here because my wife's family is from here. And- but then I came up here and I'll be honest, I've been the last year and a half, like it's, I've been a little sad. I really miss Boulder City. I miss Vegas. I miss, but I couldn't go back. My wife, my boys, our lifestyle, like everything from a family perspective is so much better. What I miss and, and this is what I'm recognizing, the loneliness I'm feeling, it's clear back in the beginning of our conversation it's decades of me being so trained and tuned into my business instead of my family yeah. where I needed to be. And I don't know, just literally recently, it's so funny you mentioned this because it's like in the last couple months here, it's just hit me that, yeah, I moved up and I feel lonely up here and not like I, I'm out of the buzz at this point. And then I had some health stuff. My wife has had some health stuff and business stuff. And it's just been a, a year, but it's, it takes time. Like I have to relearn. I got to learn how to be a new me, a better me yeah. in this place that's so verifiably and tangibly better for my family. The mm-hmm. day we, the first day we moved in, people were coming up and introducing themselves and boys are running around with scooters with folks we don't even know. And 
those folks somehow got our phone number and were like, hey, your kids are at our house with our kids. Is that okay? And we're like, sure. <laughs> it's like, it's the weirdest thing, but it's such a beautiful thing too. I didn't even realize that. I grew up in small town. Existed. Utah. <laughs> yeah. I, I spent so many years in small town Utah and it didn't exist in Utah for sure. For damn sure. It's weird. We've got a few more folks in 2800 though. Yeah. But yeah, for sure. Now the the environment's crucial, right? And <clears throat> when you look at your, everybody's got triggers for their vices. Mm -hmm. And so that was one of the things I was excited about when we made the decision to come out here and to invest in this property because it was just a, a flat piece of property that used to be a peanut farm. And so when we made the decision to invest and we know you spend like at least a hundred grand on it besides the actual house. And, but I also knew all my triggers wouldn't be here of the issues that I had in the past. And some people it's drugs, some people it's food, some people it's other addictions and stuff. For me, it was always women. And so when I'm around drinking in bars and the wrong kind of people, obviously when I was single, that was the constant. So getting out of the city, getting out of that environment was huge to where now at date night, for me and my wife, we don't want to drive 40 minutes, which we do often, but it's uh, sitting in the backyard around the fire, enjoying the new cold weather that we're finally having down here and having a conversation. Um, it's going to that thing, that bonfire. And if we do go to the local watering hole, which there really isn't one, it's just a restaurant with a, a bar in it. The conversations are about the football team and very simple things. That's probably one of the things I enjoy is... I love having high level conversations and the pressure that my business puts on me. I thrive in that, but I tell you, it's nice just to talk about simple things like high school football or basketball trials are coming up for the kids or this festival is, is going on, whatever the case is. And it's just, man, that simple stuff is nice sometimes where you get to just enjoy it and you don't have to be the driver of all the things. Isn't it crazy? Cause I don't think I've ever met an entrepreneur who hasn't sat there at some point with a beer in their hand or a root beer or whatever and been like, you remember when shit wasn't so complicated? Man, those times were nice. Yeah. But then we continue to force ourselves into complicated situations and complicated, even I've never even thought of it that way. It's not a complicated situation to go be at the bar. But when you're at the bar in that one place, like at the bar in Vegas, the conversations that are going on there. They're complicated. Yeah. There are a lot of business conversations, a lot of infidelity conversations, mm -hmm. a lot of, did you bring some lube conversations? Yeah. And then it's just complicated. And we want to sit here and complain about how we miss the simple times and the simple things and reminisce on it, but we refuse to inject that into our lives. Um, it's a pretty significant thought, actually. No, I... I couldn't agree more. When I look at when I first started out and I finished my first million dollar year, what was the first thing I was doing? Because I, I did, I had the model. I knew I was just going to continue to scale it. All I had to do was do right by the people I had, make sure everybody was fairly compensated and continue to run the model. Things would change, edits, modifications, small changes, but the model was the model. And then all home DVR and cable was all the hype. So the product wasn't going away anytime soon. 
And so <clears throat> what did I do? As soon as it got easy, I made it complicated. I opened up uh, a hotshot trucking business. I opened up a Christmas light installation business. <laughs> the energy drink and business. <laughs> that was a decade later, but yeah, I'm I'm famous in my family for doing too much. I'm famous for making things more complicated than they have to be rather than just scaling the thing that fucking works. Because I feel like if I'm not being constantly challenged, then I'm not succeeding. And that comes from childhood. That's childhood scars right there, showing back up. Because I was always under some kind of pressure, whether it be to um, not get in the way of my stepdad or whether it be to rekindle my relationship with my mom or somehow get over the fact that I didn't have a father figure. I always had this like challenge adversity going on. And so when we get into the real world and we succeed against all odds, it's okay, what now? And so how else did I make it complicated? By the time I was 26, my business was doing like 3.8 that year, I think, something like that. And so why don't I make this more complicated? Why don't I be unfaithful to my wife and have to hide that and live this whole other life when I'm on the road? Make it even more complicated. See if I can pull that off. It was just like challenge after challenge that I was giving myself productive and unproductive. And that is the highest form of self-sabotage right there. <laughs> and I did, I, I needed a mountain to climb. And if I didn't have that mountain to climb, then I felt lost and I had to go find one. So what's the, because I, so I'm a believer in, as an addict in, in my own ways. And what I've come to realize about my addictions is they don't get to be healed. There, there's not a healing. There's a replacement of one addiction with another. And I've seen that out of every addict. You, you were addicted to drugs. Now you're addicted to, to church. Mm -hmm. You were addicted to infidelity and now you're addicted to playing the guitar and, and like it, yeah. you shift that energy because the energy doesn't go away. And it's almost like this universe, right? Energy is not created or destroyed, destroyed. It's transferred. And so you're yeah. transferring this energy as far as addiction goes. And so if the driving of that, that mountain you had to climb, right? You're addicted to the climb. Mm -hmm. What's your transfer of energy? What's your new addiction? Or what are you working to build an addiction around? Because it, otherwise you go right back to the mountain. Yeah. So I was definitely, I definitely did that early on. Right. So I, you know, two, two, two and a half years into being unfaithful, I had, con I had conviction from God. I had to get on a stage and give my testimony. I was helping my uncle-in-law start a church, which is like, what the fuck? <laughs> two different guys. The scary part is I was good at it. And it became like a game, which is sick. So obviously I'm not going to go from that to having inner peace, deciding to stop doing this thing. I've got to scratch that itch somehow. Like you said, addiction to addiction, the energy has got to be transferred. So I transferred it into rugby. I, I found a rugby, my wife's cousin introduced me to it. And I was like, oh man, this is what I've been missing. This brotherhood, feeling like I belong somewhere. Forget the fact that I had a family and I belonged there. That wasn't good enough for me. And dived into rugby. I was the president within one year of the club. And I was running everything. And I was at every event, every practice, everything. And it's crazy because my wife didn't know about the infidelity at that point. Rugby almost caused our first, our first divorce. You know what I'm saying? That's how bad it got. Because I was picking practice over a kid's event or I was picking 
when I would get home from a long trip, I'd go straight into practice or straight into a match the next day instead of spending probably time justifying it with what's a commitment that I made. I got to fulfill yes. that. Not like really thinking about, I had the choice to not make the commitment in the first place. And I made a commitment at home a decade ago. We talk about it all the time, but rarely do people actually do it. I have a commitment to God. I have a commitment to my wife. I've committed to my family. All three of those are before work or rugby. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I had it flipped completely. It was rugby, it was work, and then it was the kids, then my wife, then God. If we're really looking at the where I spent my time and what I was committed to. And so it was just flipped. And so yes, initially I would say I transferred the energy to something else. And then it became mastermind groups. But at some point you've got to not heal it, but displace it, if that makes sense. And you do that through faith, through, for me, it's slowing down reading the Bible, it's meditating, it's prayer, it's, and then it is, it's becoming content where your feet are, present where your feet are. And once you can do that, what you find is that energy is put into your present moment, so you don't have to find somewhere else to put it. It's put into your kids. It's put into your wife, you know what I'm saying? Versus doing the status quo, the minimum, and then putting it into something else that gives you worldly satisfactions. And so I think you can heal in a sense, but I, I think you are right at the, about the energy piece to where it's you're, you're converting it into positive energy towards your family, towards your faith, towards your friends, your relationships, you know what I'm saying? So you and it's being put into them. That yeah, you don't have this buildup that needs some sort of negative outlet. It's yeah, like you're saying, it's dissipated into all the positive things you're already doing. You already invested in. And and here's a beautiful thing about that is it doesn't feel draining. I'm saying, if anything, it it keeps that level of energy high when you're in your flow state. You know, I and that's one thing I have a lot more now that I never had before. I could say, honestly, in my 20s, I never had a flow state being around my family. It was always uncomfortable because I wasn't doing something. Now I could be in a flow state, be completely present and be receiving what they're giving me and then be giving them whatever I can back. And that's just, I'll never get over that. That's the best place you can be. And people go their whole lives and never find that, that contentment because they have to be scrolling or they have to be watching porn or they have to be doing something about playing softball. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like things that are fun, but don't matter. And then they latch onto them. Like I latched onto rugby. Rugby stopped me from being unfaithful. Rugby, I have to hit somebody or else I won't be able to get discretion out and then I'll take it out on something else. I've never been a violent person towards my family, but I had that story in my head that I was going to become violent if I didn't have some kind of outlet which was ridiculous. But yeah, I think, like I said, you can translate it into something very positive. What's your favorite Bible verse? It's a good question. Man, and if you had asked me this a week ago, I would have had it, and now I'm drawing a blank. Because I put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah. And that's honestly the biggest area that I have a lot of growth that needs to happen. I had so many Bible verses memorized when I was in high school from Awanas and middle school. And I knew my Bible very well. And probably not since the last couple of months have I 
sat down consistently on a weekly basis and read it. I'm working towards daily, but weekly is where I want to get to. No, that's that's fine. You don't need to quote quote a verse or anything. Is there like a story or a certain set of scripture or something that just stands out to you for some reason? Probably when Jesus fed the multitude. That's probably my favorite story because I align with it so much. I've I've never been happier than when I'm feeding people. Like when I'm barbecuing and I'm watching people come and eat what I prepared for them. It's just the ultimate act of, not ultimate, but it's my ultimate act of service. It's, it probably energizes me more than it does them. You know what I'm saying? My wife will tell you, that's the first thing she tells people about me. He loves to feed people. He's going to invite you to a barbecue like the next week. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I identify with that dude. Cause I like, that's what everyone's like, what's your love language? Is it touches? It feels like feeding motherfuckers. Yeah. Feeding oh, yeah. them. And I want them to have, I want them to all the things, sweet, spicy, salty. We're going to, this meal is going to have it all. But I just want you to come and eat. Let me feed you. And if I don't like you, I will never offer you. I might offer you food, but it might be like some brownies or some shit mixed in or something. I don't know. And and then it extends into just entertaining people, making them comfortable. That's my love language. That's my service. And, and it's funny. We're talking about love languages now. It took the second marriage for me and my wife to finally figure that out. Hers is word, words of affirmation, which is very hard for me to do because I never got it when I was a kid. Now it's easier because I give it to my kids so much. So I just transfer that energy to my wife as well. And mine is, mine is acts, acts of service. But because I wasn't saying I love you 20 times a day, she thought I didn't love her. Even though I was making her lunch or I was getting up early to run an errand for her or filling up her gas tank. Yeah, you're doing your love language. Dinner. Yeah. Speaking to hers. Yeah. And yeah. so now we've had to adapt to each other's. And so that's a big part. But yeah, I would say when Jesus fed the multitude, that was just, that was his MO, was to serve. And when I think about, all right, one of our core values is follow Christ. How will my kids say, I follow Christ? Dad was always feeding people and he wouldn't, I'm the same way now. I may, I may be on my last hundred bucks and I may go out and buy a brisket to feed a bunch of people and I will not take their money. So many people have tried to pay me for barbecue and I'm like, no, hell no. That just ruins it for me most texas thing you could have said i will go buy a brisket could have been chicken it could have been some pork loin but it was a fucking brisket yeah oh, dude, that's so perfect man it's seriously it's beautiful it's really a beautiful thing i feel like if i end my life and i'm not a very i'm not christian i believe in jesus and i'm mm-hmm. an amazing man and even perform miracles and things but i was born and raised mormon and maybe i'm still yeah. dealing with issues uh having come out of that like a decade and a half ago at this point. But but I still believe Jesus was a good dude. And if folks ever were like, oh yeah, Carson was like Jesus, it's gotta just simply be because the party started with water and somehow I shouldn't have been there was wine. <laughs> there was <laughs> wine, yeah. <laughs> that's just, that's been the MO for a while. But Penelope, that seriously is beautiful. That's awesome. Is, is your wife uh, as religious as you are or sp- spiritual or not she's, spiritual? She's smoking me right now, man. She says I'm the religious leader of the household because that's biblical. The patriarchy. But but she's the one that's been pushing me. You know what I'm saying? Um, So so going back to- That's what I've seen just by the way in households is like, Mm -hmm. especially not just Christian, but um, Christian and Muslim households. And you'll have this really strong, strongly- 
faith-based woman that that really leads the conversation but lets her man be a man and pushes him to be a man yeah um, and then supports him in that role and it's a beautiful thing frankly it is because this whole idea that we're constantly at the head of the family is ridiculous now yes i am the head of my family but do i need my wife to step up sometimes and take that over because i'm not in a good way and i'm in my own head or i hit a a bit of a depression you know what i'm saying or i just have an off day hell yeah that's what i love about my wife i know she can if she needs to she doesn't want to she loves when i do you know what i'm saying and that's what she desires, right? But she can if she needs to. So I know if anything ever happens to me, besides the financial part, obviously got insurance for that, but that she'll do what she needs to for her family. And she jokes about it all the time. If the zombie apocalypse happened, if this shit hit the fan or whatever, like just to shoot her, cause she's gonna fuck it up for us. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> she's gonna be that person that like screams too loud and all the zombies come running at us or whatever. She's gonna be that person in the movies, but I know better. I know better when it comes to those babies, she's going to do whatever she's got to do. She's going to make it happen. So the fact that I know she's got my back like that, that if I have an off day, she can step up and cook dinner or take the kids places and let me do what I do, which is usually get lost in work a little bit so I can work through my shit. Then she's got me. That's massive. Dude, it's pretty damn huge. It's pretty in confidence inspiring, Bill. Because I do the same thing. Like I'll, I'll have a stressful day. I have literally had a phone call right before we jumped on, and mm-hmm. and I've got eight days to come up with twenty five thousand extra bucks and above and beyond everything else we need to support, which you yeah. know is tens and tens of, of thousands of dollars per month. But eight days, twenty five thousand bucks, or X Y Z. I know I'll figure it out, but I also know I'm going to be in my shit for a minute. And I also know that my wife is not just capable, but willing. She's even happy to it. It makes her feel like she's doing something to help me. And I'll be transparent in my conversation with her. I'm not just going to go home in a bad mood. I'll tell her, you know, why yeah. and what and whatever. And I'm so confident because of, you know, where our relationship has come over the last three or five years. And it's like, she'll be happy to step up to the plate at home so that I can feel okay about stepping up to the plate here because I spent so many years stepping up to the plate at work when I didn't need to, that I almost yep. feel guilty doing it now when I do need to, because there are times that it's okay. I need to put in a couple extra hours. I got to make an extra 10 to 20 phone calls. I got to, and I'll nip this in the butt and then I'll be back there. But even if I'm there, I'm not going to be there. I'm going to be, and I don't want to do that anymore. But that transparency and that ability of a good woman to just, and not just a good woman, a good spouse, a good support piece that's going to help run your household. It's, I think, maybe the greatest asset anybody trying to do something successful, entrepreneur, athlete, you want to grow a church. You are going to have days where the tithes didn't cover the bills. And if you want to, if you want to give a sermon on Sunday, you got to figure it out. Yeah. I think what you're talking about, because most entrepreneurs I talk to that are in our late 30s or early 40s went through that period where we were the cliche entrepreneur mm-hmm. and our wives dealt with it. You know what I'm saying? And we weren't the greatest human beings, right? And we had to learn. And, but 
since then, we have strengthened that trust between us and our spouses because now when we do work a 12-hour day or a 14-hour day or something and disappear on them, they know it's for the right reasons. What's crazy is, what has it been, like four years after my wife and I legally got a divorce for my infidelity, I can now go on a work trip for two or three nights, hotel rooms, all the things, all the triggers that used to be an issue. And my wife 100% trusts me, which is unheard of. And there's one major reason that she does. And it's be it's the same reason we reconcile. So when you look at our reconcile attempts, we had six of them during those that three year period where we were divorced, three and a half separated. Every single time, neither one of us had gotten our lives. Neither one of us did. And so what happened was more of the things of this world, which was every time we try to reconcile, I would get close to her, I would be in a good place thinking we were doing well, then all of a sudden she would just put the wall up because she hadn't forgiven me yet. And everything that people say about infidelity, once you cheat, you can never go back. It's never the same. The trust is broken, all that stuff. Those are worldly statements. And so what happened was by the sixth time, she was in a relationship. I was in a relationship. She felt a strong pull to prayer. So she started praying again. And you got to imagine she's praying for her current relationship. And she woke up in the middle of the night one night and started praying because she has bad dreams sometimes. So she prays her way out of them, right? And for whatever reason, she felt like God was pulling her back to me. And so it took a couple of weeks for her to accept this. But once she did, she left the relationship that she was in and started focusing on God and restoring our marriage. Meanwhile, I had just moved in with my girlfriend at the time. The kids have met her. We live in a two-story house, all the things. You know what I'm saying? Like we're setting up our lives and she's over here praying for our our marriage. It's just crazy, right? The reason she was though is because she was able to forgive me. God was able to heal that hurt finally because she opened herself up to it. She asked him to. And me, none excuse me, none the wiser thought it was just another time that she was going to try and reconcile and threw me over again, basically. So I was like, I'm not falling for it this time. So it took about eight months, three months after she had proclaimed this thing. I broke up with my girlfriend at the time. It wasn't working out between us. It was our own thing. It had nothing to do with her. And then I think it was three months later, I finally, she had been asking me out hey, let's hang out, let's talk, or whatever the case is. I'm just like, no, I'm not going to fall for this again. I'm not going to go through that again. And then eventually I finally gave in and we went to a wedding together and it was her cousin's wedding. And so I'm good. I'm just doing a favor for her. Like I'm showing up as her date or whatever. I wouldn't even say we were friends. <laughs> I was being cordial. And, and it worked out because that weekend we were going to be in Corpus anyways for some family stuff. And so we were both going to be there. But anyways, I'm in the lobby and I'm like counting the hours down to this thing's over. I don't, I'm, I'm not, I don't like weddings. I don't even like my own wedding. I want straight to the party. Let's have a good time. All the formal stuff is just exhausting. <laughs> so I'm counting down the hours or whatever. She walks out in the lobby and 
Dude, she looked better than the day that I met her. It was just like this dress she had on and I was done. <laughs> I was done after that. And so we started dating again and everything. We eventually reconciled a year later. But again, going back to it, the only reason we were able to pull that off is because now God was involved. Now she had her faith back. And now she had her North Star again. Versus before it was like, well, you need to satisfy, you need to satisfy all the things of this world in order to get back with me. And that's impossible. You know what I'm saying? Like you're never going to win against dating apps and a new relationship. You know what I'm saying? That's always going to be better because it's new and you, and nobody's hurt each other yet. You're never going to win against people that, that don't believe in the secular family, that they're always going to be about being an independent woman and doing your own thing and dating a bunch of guys and being in the, the driver's seat of your life. Never going to win against that. So I forgot why we got into that. <laughs> it's, it doesn't but, matter, dude. It's, it's yeah. fascinating and it's, um, it's real. Oh, it was because she found her faith again first. Yeah. And so in a sense, she led me back to God. And, and I did, when we get reconciled back together, I was so scared. I was so scared I would fuck it up again. Because you got to remember like, all right, I, I stopped the infidelity. I poured myself into rugby, but I, I found all these things that could distract me. Right. And then we, she finds out everything and I pretty much vomited everything on her at one point. She found out one little small thing and I could have lied it away or it could have been like one time that she could have gotten over, but no, I told her everything. <laughs> Anyways, so now I'm separated, now I'm divorced, now I've been on the apps, I'm living that single guy lifestyle, I'm making a couple hundred grand a year, I'm the freaking unicorn in the dating world, right? 34 or 32, 33, 34 years old and off good dad. You know what I'm saying? That's one of the things that the separation and the divorce helped me become a way better dad. I actually, be, that's when I started showing up for my kids because it was like, I don't have a choice now. I already fucked up in the marriage. You know what I'm saying? So now I'm becoming my mom and my dad. So the only thing I can get right is my kids. So I doubt that shit ain't quick. So you got to think like I'm living the material, the worldly high life where these beautiful women are all around and I have my pick of the litter. Especially in San Antonio, there's not a lot of good dudes in San Antonio. It's rough. Always a baby daddy issue or something like that. But anyways, yeah, exactly. And I was one of them for a while. And so when you looked at me from, again, a worldly perspective, I'm winning. My business is doing well. I only have to be there 15, 20 hours a week. I'm taking care of myself and my girlfriend and her kid at the time. You know what I mean? You couldn't tell me nothing. And so it was, I, I don't know how I would have came back to God in that mindset unless my wife brought me back there. And so when you look at when we started to reconcile, I told her straight up, I was transparent with her. This is where the integrity piece comes in and can be a superpower. People always look at it as, oh, if I tell the truth, people are going to think less of me. So I was transparent with her. I told her about all the temptations I had. I told her how bad I wanted to just call my, my ex and go over there and do whatever I wanted. You know what I'm saying? I was real with her about that stuff and she could handle it. No regular ass woman could handle it. A faith driven right. woman can't. And because I was being transparent with her, that rebuilt the trust. And, and I told her, look, 
I'm going to do this because I want to do it. So whenever I'm out of town, I'm calling you at 930 when I'm about to go to bed. But I'm not just going to call you. I'm going to FaceTime. And I'm making this commitment to you because I know it'll hold me accountable. I don't. She didn't ask for that. She had to trust me right away or else it wouldn't have worked. So I would do things like that. I would start flexing those trust muscles over and over again. And I was consistent and I showed up every time. I didn't fuck up. And now it's like, I can go on those trips and not even have an issue. I'm still going to FaceTime her because I miss her. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm pouring into my relationship and the seed grows where you water it. But that's what, that's how we were able to rebuild that trust. It started with God. And then it was a lot of work in between. And luckily I was surrounded by great examples. And as far as I knew, I don't have these crazy deep, deep relationships with guys like Ryan Stuman or Thomas Keenan or Drewby Wilson or Mike Claudio, but I knew that they were in their hotel room at 9.30 every night like me, and they were up at 4.30 in the gym. You know what I'm saying? I saw them there. It's very hard to do those things if you're out being unfaithful. And so being around guys like that, Mark Zalmanoff is another one, um, gave me a constant temperature check to make sure I was doing the right things. So that kept me in line, getting my faith back, my wife driving that home for sure. And she will every night when I don't feel like praying, she'll just squeeze my hand a little bit. And that's all I need. It's a little push I need. She squeezes my hand a little bit. And then even, even nights I'm, I'm mad at God sometimes. I'm pissed. I'm like, I'm doing all the right things, God. I'm living by these core values. I'm showing up. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying every night. I'm tithing all the material things you think are first that you need to check off. I'm doing those too. Why am I struggling so much financially? Why are these clients not saying yes? I keep saying no. So I'm pissed. I went to bed like that. And all she did the, the hand squeeze a few times didn't work. No, I'm not. But it's so selfish, right? You're not going to pray for your family. And so she would just say, I need you to pray for me. That's fuck. All right. So then I end up with a 15 minute prayer. You know what I'm saying? Because she said those words. Once you crack that bottle, dude, it's like Pringles. Once you pop, you just can't stop. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to steal that. You're Trademark right. Carson Porter. <laughs> <laughs> Prayer is like Pringles. Dude, we've covered some pretty heavy ground so far. It's so easy for me to talk about it now. It was hard in those rooms at first, in the mastermind rooms, stuff like that, to be forthright about my past because I wanted to be a winner. And that's not a... That's not the past of a winner, or is it? I guess that depends on your definition of winning, right? Yeah, I remember my first podcast I ever did was on Chrissy Nikki Corson's podcast. And it was the first time I talked about my infidelity publicly. And since then, I've probably done it on 20 other podcasts. And so now it's just like breathing. And I, I know the result that comes from it. It's more in the one-on-one -on -one conversations I have with guys where I bring it up. And immediately their whole demeanor changes because they're in that moment. They're either being unfaithful to their wife or they have been and they're trying to restore their marriage. Right. And I just see their whole body language change and I know, okay, I need to pour into this dude. And knowing that happens, that makes it so easy to come on podcasts like this or conversations like this and talk about it openly and honestly. And there's a lot of men that need your story and they need to hear it, need to hear that there's a version where it comes out okay. I think just as many women need to hear it. Women in business struggle with that. Mm -hmm. So we 
me and my wife, and we've been saying we're going to do it forever. I'm going to talk to her about it again when we get done here. We want to come out with a six-episode six series called Restoration Trip, where we walk everybody through our restoration story mm-hmm. from childhood, the things that caused it, and then, then on her end, and basically show both sides of that coin through the whole process. I think we'll find out stuff we didn't even know about each other in that process what we went through, her nights alone, my nights alone, the depression, the shame that we both went through. Yeah, we need to get it done because I think it's going to be an impactful one. Now, I don't want to start a whole new podcast. I just want it to be a mini series, essentially. That way we can get it out there. And then now I can just, and that's such a cool tool, right? We have all these digital products now that we can send out to people and to have a digital product like that to where it's like, hey, I understand what you're going through. Maybe you don't want to talk about it, but here's a podcast me and my wife did on it and you can just go and right. listen to that. Yeah. And it'd take you 20 minutes to set up a Spotify and a YouTube account and away you go. I, I have a service that does that. So <laughs> there you go. And once we did so many episodes of my podcast, my team was just like on point after a while. And I was like, man, this is a, so many guys come to me and say, Hey, how do you do three podcasts a week? How do you have so much content coming out? And it's like SOPs and systems and a great team. And so now we have uh, podcast partners where we do that for people that want to start a podcast. Dude, that's awesome. I get a lot of the same thing because I do, I'll do two of these recordings per week, which these ones are three hour blocks. That's insane, that's on, A lot of time. We got another one we're launching that's like super industry specific. Mm-hmm. And then we've already been doing for years, like four to seven hours a week of live training and then I got to go do for like our mastermind, right? And then I got to go run my businesses and make money in the meantime. And the social media, and they're like, how do you balance it? It's like SOPs and a really good team, mm-hmm. a really good team. I don't spend tens and tens of thousands of dollars a month on on that team either. They make good incomes, but it's not like I'm spending 50 grand a month and right. on whatever. We don't run any ads or anything like that. It's just I've got some VAs that uh, that help out with some things. And then we have some team here in the States and between all of it and the SOPs. And so uh, that's here in the States that had an extra four hours in their week. And I didn't want to have to trim back their income. It's, hey, you're really good at implementing systems and processes, but you suck at the creative process. So let me use a VA for the creative and we'll use you on the implementation side and put some SOPs together in between. And and all of a sudden it just becomes cohesive. It's so crazy how that comes together because I didn't dream it in the beginning. I'm sure you haven't dreamed your stuff up. It's not like you sat down and mapped it out and you're like, I'm going to have this person that does this and that person that does that. Just fill the gaps as you need them. And yeah, it's figured out for a year or two. And then after that, you do what you just said, where you map it out and everything. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of US, a big yeah. fan of the software 90.io. I think it's like a watered down version of EOS mm-hmm. that makes it very simple for somebody to start. And so that's what I use for myself and my clients. It makes consulting super easy, KPI measurable, deliverable based consulting to where you can see it. And that's helped a lot too. So anybody that works in my business now, again, a whole four people, they're dialed in on that. They can go start their own company and run EOS themselves now because they've been doing it with me for two to three years. So what's with your consulting company? What's your mm-hmm. next big step forward? Why do you think folks aren't pulling the trigger 
on some of what y'all are offering right now? So I'm all, everything I'm doing now, right now is organic. It's from my social media or it's from my networking groups, right? Same here. And, and so there's no scale to it. So when I do get someone into a conversation and they come from those groups, it's a pretty easy sale. But when they come from outside the group, I've had to figure out how to almost brand myself in a 15 minute conversation. You know what I'm saying? Which has gotten easier and easier. I've gotten very good at uh, selling over Zoom and digital offers. My close rate right now for a discovery call, when they're getting on the call and they need my services, is like 75 to 80%. And what I'm missing, right? So I have one on one consulting uh, and then I have my course as well as a bunch of digital products that are lost leaders. And then the last product is podcast partners, and which is, that's a service that my producer runs. That's his baby. And he's partnered on that now. And so he's got to go out and grow that business if he wants to make more money. <laughs> but on the one-on-one side, I've been toying with different things, doing group consulting. Uh, one-on-one's been the most effective. Literally, I've had clients go from seven figures to five times over that in one year after consulting with me. And that's not all me. I've got great clients that are very good at what they do, but I systemize it and scale it. And that's been going really well. Like I don't have any clients that I think would really say a bad word about me or even like mediocre word, I should say, but it's scaled now. How do I scale this thing that I built out? I have a, a brand building great sales teams. I have the podcast. I have the course. So it's about, all right, now I'm getting better at marketing, understanding that, cultivating lists and pulling the money out of advertising dollars and all that type of stuff. So I need to start marketing my course. I think that's where some of the scale comes from, as well as just dialing in that offer, making it cheaper, but less of me doing the work. And honestly, I've had a lot of equity opportunities because of the one-on-one consulting has evolved into that to where they want to keep me on. I have a fractional CSO service that I'm uh, doing right now so my clients can keep me on and, and talk to me four times a month and we can make decisions and my team that comes with 10 hours from my team if we need to build out a document or an SOP or something around the sales program but it's turned in it a few of them have turned into equity now so I, I can see a future where I have equity positions in five to six companies I'm on the boards maybe I even have a executive role in some of them and I'm building out those companies. And then of course I have my own company and then my family LLC behind that. And I'm building out the operations and systems, the tax incentives and everything on that. And so I can see a future like that where the top end millions are coming in from equity, but the actual work that I'm doing has already been done, if that makes sense. Now I'm a partner in the company or ref share deals is another big one too. So I think the scale is really going to come from growing five to 10 businesses from when they hired me to multiple seven figures, hopefully. What are your like main types of business? Are you primarily like solar space where you're trying to be because that's your experience or? <clears throat> no, honestly, now that you say that, I just signed another shared solar client. I have two shared solar clients. And, but no, I've done high end security their garden, the tech CEOs going from the plane to the building. They're walking people out the door where they get fired. I did a high insecurity uh, business development role. I built that out. 
I've done car wrap companies. I have a client right now that installs pools. But yeah, I would say where I'm most Im- impactful is in the door-to-door space because I literally did that for 15 years. But what I love about what I do is those concepts transfer because door-to-door is so efficient and effective. Despite what anyone says, all your preconceived notions are bullshit. Let's have a conversation about that sometime. You know what I mean? Your listeners, not me and you, because I know you come from door-to-door. Anyways, but I'm transferring those principles and those standards over to inbound sales or sales that leads are coming in. And, And I'm looking at clients like, are you kidding me? Your close rate is what? And granted, it's a different kind of lead. In in person's a whole nother animal, but it's raising their standards and systems, right? Like when you have to convince somebody every day to go out and work for free until they make a sale, you're recruiting, you're onboarding, your training systems are on point versus you're paying them a salary and they're showing up every day for the salary plus yeah. commissions on top of that. It's a whole nother animal. So when you apply a door-to-door sales program to a traditional business, all the all of a sudden you're it's like putting Nas in the system. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I love door-to-door. I like you and I have had that conversation before. That's where that's how I got my first insurance agency off the ground and and making hundreds of thousands and, and millions of dollars with it was door-to-door. Do you want to spend the frustration of my life? We might have to have this have a follow-up conversation. In the next week or two, frustration of my life has been figuring out a sales team, and I've got I, I've got some stuff going for sales right now, and they do a great job, but we're struggling to scale it. Figuring out sales for this mastermind thing that that we've created, the mastermind and oh, the yeah. events, because you can't really door to door that very well. There's here in Idaho Falls, there's twenty or thirty doors total we could hit that are even our audience. I've got your contact. Yeah, I've got the guy. That would be a cool You've got an amazing group. And if you've got an amazing group, this guy, that's what he does. He pulls sale or he pulls high ticket offers out of groups. And him and his team are specialists in it. They go into the group, they contribute to the group, they engage in the group, and then they teach you how to do it too. They want you to replace them, but they show you how to do it. His name's Chris. He's based in Australia. Yeah, dude, I'd, I'd love to talk to him. Like I say, yeah. my team, the team that I have, I love them, and I have no um, no thoughts about replacing them in any way, shape, or form. I feel like I've underperformed them because I this is a new thing for me. Scaling yeah. an insurance in- agency, like, I'm fucking good at it. We, we literally just launched another one up here in Idaho Falls because when I opened the mastermind, I shut my own stuff down for a couple of years to get it off the ground, right? Mm-hmm. And now that it, it's off the ground, it's not where I want to be. And it's still in a lot of ways a frust. I feel like it's my biggest failure because I haven't scaled it the way I want to. Yeah. But but it's where it's healthy enough at this point that I'm like, okay, I can launch my own brick and mortar agency again, so to speak. And we service all 50 states. We service into Canada and all over. But but it's like brick and mortar. We're doing day-to-day financial services, life insurance, and, and that kind of mm-hmm. retirement planning. And we just literally in a month open the doors back up on that. And uh, we're already on track to do probably over a million in the, in the first year in, in revenue with 80, 90% profit margins on it. It's stupid. That's beautiful. I'm good at this, but from figuring out how to scale that mastermind, dude, it's driving me insane. Insane. 
Yeah, it's uh, Chris Morrison. I'm going to put you in a three-way message with him, and you guys should connect. He'll walk you through the, the model and everything. But, dude, he, yeah, I don't even fully understand it, but it's digital door knocking for groups. It's the best that, way I could say it. That's a lot of what we've done. Like, we built the group, and we cultivate it. We pour in value. We build relationships and all this, but getting people to close, I think He's, our three months- very good at dialing in the offer, too. That's no. what I think, like our offer, I think that's one of our problems is we offer so much and it's okay. We can offer that much. We just need to quit talking about it all the damn time. Yes. Like you've got to have a really a kind of a single point of entry and we don't in that regard. The best way that I've scaled my agencies was single point of entry. At one yeah. point, my first agency, it was like home and auto insurance. We made all of our money on life insurance, annuities, financial planning. But the single point of entry was Hoban Auto. This new agency, it's single point of entry on financial services It's and, and a couple different things. But it's all around like one thing. And I think that's been our one of our issues with the mastermind. We're doing so damn much all the time and we can't quit talking about all of it. Shut the fuck up about all of it. Do this one thing. And then once people are in, now they can branch out to all this other stuff. But Exactly. Yeah, is that scalable, right? And it's it's been incredibly hard for me to doubt my offer that way too, because it it took a long time to be for me to figure out that hey, I help with the sales program. Before it was very much I I got so many people reaching out to me, wanting me to train their salespeople, mm-hmm. and I'm like, that's not a good use of my time. I can train your VP or your director or your sales manager how to train them. And give them systems to operate that training on, you know what I'm saying? But I, I would get a lot of unqualified leads because I didn't have that messaging dialed in. Now every everywhere you see me, it's sales program builder, pod host, and speaker. And so I tried to or consultant. Um, I try to dial in that that messaging, and it does. It helps a lot because by the time when I get on calls now, it's yeah, I need a sales program. I don't have one. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So. A lot of times when you focus on that point of entry, you can scale that versus trying to, sh- hey, we do all this stuff with you there with your trench coat and all the watches. Yes. Yeah. I think that's the perfect way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely interested in talking to him. We should talk as well too, though, because we've got some internal SOP stuff that, again, I know how to do it. We literally teach people how to do it, but we do it yeah. for that. And you can only see what you can see, right? Sometimes you're you can't see the forest through the trees and you just- you need somebody that's qualified to have the conversation. You got to pay that person. And, yeah. But dude, that's that's pretty damn cool that you're scaling this. Where do you see the consulting stuff going? Are you looking to grow and exit or continue to work inside of it? At one point, it was, I had a few people queued up to be sales pro- program builders within the brand. I think that's the long-term scale right now. It's just equity plays and enjoying my family. But I think, yeah, like in 10 years, I will scale the brand to where you can become a certified sales program builder for BGST and and we can scale the consulting business. But but for now, for the near future, I think it's going to be very much solopreneur, me only doing high paying activities and building out my personal brand more and more. That way, when I do decide to scale, I've got 10 10 people lined up with the experience that I had, the experience that you have, and but want to work with me. 
No, I love that, man. What else are you working on scaling in your life? Like out, outside of the business or businesses? I'm back into rugby. <laughs> yeah. Is this a dangerous place? No, it's not. And I think because it came from my wife. Hmm. All right. I got to provide some context. I was in a partnership for an agency, which was CRM, web dev, SEO, all that good stuff, right? I was handling the sales. I had minority equity in it. And so when it came time to renew my office lease, three of my ex-partners are here in town. And so I was like, why don't we get an office together? We talked about doing that. And they're like, let's wait six months, get some more cash flow coming in. I said, no big deal. I'll work from home. Working from home has not been good for me. (laughs) Not at all. I hate I did it for six yeah. months when we moved here and I will never do it again. Yeah. And uh, again, I worked from an office since day one of my business. And so I've never not been able to go and separate and get my work done and then come home. And so it, it's been tough and my wife's been seeing that. Me not leaving the house. Obviously, I go for walks. I go to the gym. And then when the kids have stuff, I'm going to that. But we're we're I'm trying to figure this thing out where I'm in the same room. And it it is, we don't have an office space in this house. I'm in the corner of my bedroom right now, which is weird. I wake up and my office is right next to me. It's all wrong. But anyways, so I'm going to get in a new office space in the next couple of months. But she recognized this issue and she was like, you need to get out, right? You need to, but there's nothing that I want to go do. I want to spend time with my family. And when we do go places, it's to her family's or to dinner, movies, fun stuff for the kids, all that good stuff. But she recognized that since I, I haven't been going to Apex events or RBO events, like I was missing that brotherhood. And she was like, I, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I think you need to start playing rugby again. And she also knows that I get in really good shape when I play rugby. So I think it's a little, a little selfish of her. But. She likes that hard body done. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've been getting a little soft. But anyways, this has become the most Doug intro ever. So I told uh, Chris, I was like, going to connect y'all and provide context later. Because <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I, I wanted to stay focused here, but I didn't want to forget to connect y'all. But anyways, the rugby team's been struggling. And it's one of those things is if you don't market, if you don't put yourself out in the community, you're not going to get players. And you got to get players because guys get hurt, they get injured. You need 15 players on the field at one time. And so you you need to be running a roster of 20 plus. And so the club hasn't been marketing. I'm going out to practice. There's eight or nine guys. We barely made a roster to do a scrimmage the other day. So I already seem, I'm already like, if I set them up with a CRM and a go high level location and I start set, you know, collecting leads or whatever, I'm, I'm already. SOPs and. Yeah. <laughs> and the president, he's, oh, dude, I'm so glad you're back and you're going to do all that because we are just drowning over here and so yeah we have a meeting on sunday so uh, again it's architecting this life of community family and the business really is not a priority for me but it's crazy for me to say that my whole life that's been number one and so if i can create and and that's why i'm so happy that we chopped our burn rate in half like we did in the last couple of months um, because it gives me that freedom and you can literally architect the life you want if you're willing to sacrifice kind of these material things that you maybe for me, I don't need. And then for other the people listening, there's probably something that you know that you're spending a ridiculous amount of money on every month that you can live without. 
And if it relieves some of that pressure and makes you a little more present with your kids, then it's worth it. For me, for a long time, it was the mastermind groups. I was spending five grand a month on masterminds. Even when I switched to consulting, I was still spending that because I knew it was a lead generation tool. And that's how I justified it. If I don't spend that, I'm not going to get the leads. But I forgot I had already built and built a strong brand over two years. People know me, you know what I'm saying? And I was able to cut some of those expenses too, down from executives to entourage and from RBOGs to the inner circle and make decisions that allowed me to do what I wanted to do. And it is when you are responsible for, I, I won't say the salespeople, I'll say the staff and the management team. So that was probably at any given time, that was probably 20 people. And so constantly I always made decisions for them. Don't get me wrong. I made a bunch of money. Okay. But I did, I would make a hundred grand one year instead of 500 because I wanted to beef up my management team. And so I would make little decisions like that, but year after year, it got easier and easier to put myself last, put my family last. I would pay my rent before I paid my mortgage. And so now I just refuse to do that anymore. And it is, like I said, it hasn't been an easy year. Financials have been tough, but when I come out on the other side of this, I will have architected a life that supports what I want to do versus making sure everybody else is good first. That makes sense. Yeah. And then it, it will, it, it will make me so much stronger that when I do hire staff again and when I do grow a team again, I'm never going to have to worry about payroll. I'm never going to have to worry about any of that stuff because I know I'm good with just what I have now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so when I add people and stuff, it'll be because I'm making five and 10 X what I should be making by adding those people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it has, it, it's created for the first time in my life. I have, I'm saying no to a lot of things financially versus I used to always say, yes, raise my level of expenses, raise my level of business, raise my level of expenses, raise my level of business versus keeping my expenses flat and becoming doing whatever the fuck I wanted in business. Yeah, dude, that that whole story and just line of thought resonates for as long as I can remember. I've always put myself last and what you don't realize as not just a business owner, but if you're a business owner who's a husband and a father and a when you put yourself last, your family becomes last too. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's I to this day will break my back, break my bank account, I will stress myself to the grave, stress myself into having cancer, stress like all these things to make sure everybody else is fed mm-hmm. before I take care of the one people that I said I was doing this for in the first place. It's such a destructive thought. Why do you think people get on that track? Ignorance. It's a cliche. It's a, a trendy thing to say or to do. When you're having the conversation, you're across the desk from the employee. That's what you think they want to hear. I pay myself last. But now I know that any employee worth their salt is going to win here. I pay myself first. I'm good financially. If we don't make money for 30 days, I've got a nest day because I put the company first and then I put myself first. I don't need to draw from the company for a quarter, a whole quarter if I don't have to, if it's not making money. That's financial stability. That's what I want to, I would want to hear as an entrepreneur or as an employee, if I was ever one of those things again, which by the way, I've never ruled out. Some people have such big egos, they rule it out. And that's still plausible for me. 
for the right person. I'm saying for somebody that I want to be like, I'm 37. You'd think I'd, I'd be out of the mentor stage, but that's not even close. I'm just getting started. But anyways, they want to hear that you're financially stable and you're financially, you, the only way you get financially stable is putting yourself first. But again, we, I, I did, I was, I was a slave to my people because it was like, Hey, as long as I am working on the business, not in the business, and they see that I'm putting in that work and the business is growing, then we're good. But as soon as the business isn't growing, as soon as their position stalls a little bit, as soon as they don't get paid what they think they should get paid, they're gone. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because you've built the business on those things versus building them on financial stability building them on values and you have the right people in your business. So when you do hit that speed bump or that road, you know, um, and I, I'm going to talk about one of my clients, Adam Kramer, fantastic dude, so young and has so has the knowledge that we have now at that age, I'm saying, because he's in our groups. And he was talking about the other day, he was in a territory that he didn't know that he couldn't get paid on. So his team was out there. He had eight guys working making sales, making a bunch of money, all that. And then they found it the next day and none of it counted because that wasn't the right territory. They had made a mistake in scheduling or uh, disposition, turf, whatever the case was. And his team took it in stride because he's built his company on values. His team has a, they have a culture of accountability, of resourcefulness. They have a culture of forward progress. So my team at his age, Shoot, they would have quit the next day. Well, I'm not getting paid. I worked for free. I'm gone. I can make mistakes, but you can't make mistakes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And a lot of employees think that way. And it's going back to it again. When you're sitting across from the table, you almost feel guilty for taking your paycheck, which makes no sense. Because all that's going to do is make your business and you better, your family better, which when you're sitting on that foundation where you pay yourself first, you take care of you and your family first, you're so much stronger for everybody else. If we just equated money to food, we would always eat first. Because if not, if we're dead, what, are, what good are we to everybody else? Yeah. You know, the airplane is another great analogy. And we say it all the time. We say it when we're in our groups and then we go in back into our business and we do the same thing again. We're like, oh, I'm, I want to keep, I did, I kept people on when I shouldn't have kept people on. When they weren't great employees, but I wanted to support them and I did. I wanted to say, hey, I paid you through that and I didn't pay myself. Mm -hmm. I was like a, a bronze star that I put on my chest, which was fucking stupid. <laughs> so stupid. I would rather not pay myself because I don't have to versus just not pay myself and pay you because I don't have the money to. That's heavy. I can guarantee out of all the business owners that, that listen to, to, to that, I can guarantee 80 plus percent of them, that's going to hit them in the chest. In the yeah, that's the way I operated for so long and I get it. It is, it's admirable to a degree. What but, was like uh, the catalyst to that mindset shift though? Like what, what's lapped you in the face and was like, Doug, you're doing it backwards. The end of last year when it took nothing for my VP of sales to leave when he didn't agree with what I was doing. When it took nothing for my regional director to sleep with one of my admin and violate our core values and not put the company first. I realized in 15 years, I was the only 
that really put the company first. When it came down to brass tacks, when it came down to money, um, values, and disciplines, I was the only one that put the company first. And, and, and why would I expect more than that? It's my fucking company, you know what I'm saying? But I had this false sense of brotherhood between me and my leadership that didn't exist. And once I figured that out, I was like, why did I kill myself for 15 years and always put myself last? And they can all talk to you to this day. And, and if they're being truthful, they're going to say, yeah, Doug paid himself last. There were several times where he went months without getting paid. Mm-hmm. My wife was coming to me like, hey, your leadership is making 10 grand a month, 20 grand a month, 30 grand a month, and you're over here not getting paid because my my commission structure was so heavy for them because I felt like all I'm doing is putting the pieces in place. I shouldn't get the most, you know what I'm saying? And it was just a broken mindset. It, it was a financially broken mindset, not to mention uh, ethically broken. It was a financially broken mindset. Damn. Was that part of the reason you decided to shift away from that business altogether and, and go more to the consulting side? Like it was easier to start fresh than maybe not easier, but maybe more appropriate. It seemed more the thing to do to start something fresh as opposed to try and repair the culture you'd already built there. What what was so kind I, of the catalyst to that? I knew I was never going to operate that AT&T business at a granular level. And so it was easier to say, hey, I'm going to cut you loose. I'm going to, for this issue, and I'm going to set you up with a contract with AT&T so you can still go make money. You know what I'm saying? And what happened at first is I was like, take the guys, take them. I know I'm not going to lead these guys on the AT&T division. I've got solar division to run and I've got my consulting business. So I knew I wasn't going to have the capacity. But what happened is a lot of the guys stayed. They were like, we don't want to go. And so I did what I could to keep maintain that division, but it fizzled out eventually. And and then the second one was the disagreement about overpaying the sales reps and stuff like that with my VP. And so we separated and I knew I didn't want to run a solar business, not the way that it needed to be ran at that time. Probably in about two years, I may get back into the solar industry, uh, rooftop solar that is, because I know that commissions will have calmed down. The installers will be getting paid better. You know what I'm saying? And the customer service experience will be so much better. And so if I can contribute to that, if I can get involved with the installation company versus a sales org and build out the sales piece of an installation company, I think that would be incredibly sexy for me because now I'm controlling the customer's experience from beginning to end versus passing them off to an install company and not continuing that experience that I gave. Makes sense. Makes sense. What else? Are you getting back involved in, you helped start a church? Are you back involved in growing that church or or running it or? Yeah, I, I'm just serving. I'm not in leadership. I probably won't put myself in that position until I serve for a while. It's a fairly new church for us. I'm actually serving in the garden ministry. (laughs) My church has a garden ministry because it's a cowboy church. (laughs) And I'm learning how to grow my own vegetables. That's because I want to do that personally. I want to eventually um, buy about 200 acres, self-sustaining ranch, the whole deal. I don't need this big, beautiful house or anything. I just need it to be self-sustaining to where I don't need city water, electricity, any of that stuff to to run that property. And that's where I'll retire 
and that'll be the that'll be the where the family gathers thanksgiving christmas stuff like that as long as they don't have their own units that's where we're gathering it'll always be there for them gonna put it into a trust to where they can't sell it or anything like that and that'll always be there for them they ever need it. build houses i don't care that's yours so that's the goal there but anyways i feel like long term if i've secured the bag that i need to secure which i haven't yet i don't feel like i have then i can start putting more into the church for sure you gonna stay there in texas san antonio area you think yeah the property's so cheap around here i i can get right now i'm looking at 180 acres for 1.8 million it's crazy cheap uh compared to the rest of the state compared and so to anything west of the rockies is <laughs> yeah one 1.8 gets you maybe a couple acres yeah it's crazy yeah yeah definitely saying texas born here I love Texas to death, but if I were to move, it would be to Utah probably. Like I've I've been to St. George a few times. I've been to Salt Lake, and just the people that come from there, just good fucking people. Utah, so beautiful I, place. I don't think I can move back, but I think part of that is because I was raised there in childhood. Yeah, you still got that angst and whatnot. And but yeah, there's a ton of good people. It's a beautiful place, really beautiful place. So people don't realize how hot St. George gets in the summer. It's an hour down the road from Las Vegas. It's 115s. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's 115, 117. Up on this, a lot of times we're like, we'd clock in at 120 on the sand, 120 mm -hmm. plus. That's people crazy. don't realize Southern Utah gets hot. Northern Utah still hit like hundreds, but then it cools off at night and, and it gets Northern Utah's with snow and everything in the winter. But, um, yeah, Southern Utah gets warm, dude, really warm. Yeah, for sure. Other things I got going on is I'm launching a, a local chapter of a mastermind that I just joined. It's Success Champions Network. Donnie Boyveen puts it on. He's out of DFW and completely different than a lot of what we see out there. And not in a good or a bad way, just different. He's very B2B focused and very about the about you having a local space to meet or a local place to meet. So I'm opening like up the- Like a BNI type model, BNI corporate alliance? The best way I could describe it is it's a hybrid between Apex and BNI, but there's local chapters. And I have like, I think that's becoming a big part of my mission because I have spent so much on growth and development and learned so many amazing things from guys like you and the groups that we're in. It's man, when I go and meet a local business owner, they're- 10 years behind where we are in terms of sales and marketing, in terms of operations. Maybe they're a solopreneur. And when I sit down with someone like that and I have a conversation about their business and I go into discovery mode and I turn into the consultant that I am, it's just natural. It came out five years ago. Now I'm just getting paid to do it. And But I still do it organically, whether I'm being paid or not, in just a connection call or a one-on-one -on -one conversation in person. And then all of a sudden I'm able to pour into them, open their eyes to that. There is no better feeling of seeing that click happen for them. And then them just running back to their office or to their house to implement. It's just, it's fantastic. It's a rush I haven't had since guys started making their first six figure checks with my company. Right. That was the last time I felt that rush. And so I think that's going to be a big part of what I do in the next couple of years 
is giving back to San Antonio and San Antonio entrepreneurs. Pretty badass. Pretty badass. I've always thought about doing something. In fact, years ago in St. George, I did something similar. We opened, we started our own um, little mastermind. We called it BAMF. And instead of badass motherfucker, it was business, uh, business, administration, mentoring, fraternity or something. It was all men. And yeah. and it, it was cool. We ran it for like almost a year or whatever. And then it just fell apart. And I feel like the minute I got a little bit tired and asked other people to do shit, they just. <laughs> it's usually how it works. But yeah, I've always, in fact, since being up here, I've talked to some people locally. Hey, maybe we should start our own thing. I just, I don't know that I have the bandwidth for it. It's one of those things like coffee, Wednesday mornings, just make it fucking simple because you get to, you do, you miss it. Right. And if, if you're not going to the events that you and I have gone to in the past, you miss that camaraderie, that brotherhood of entrepreneurship, but you just can't get that anywhere else. I'll, I'll never get that on the rugby team. So that's why I decided to open up that local chapter here in San Antonio. I think that's from what's your vetting piece. Cause there's some of those like local organizations we've already mentioned i won't like name names because now i'm about <laughs> to talk some shit but yeah no but you'd go and it's not Takers. that you don't want to be around people that are brand new in business or whatever like i'm totally good with that it's but yeah, it's, yeah. they're not all in they're they're tire kicking they're they're here trying out the entrepreneur hat or yeah. whatever and it's i'm so all into this that bled this for decades yeah um and they're just kicking tires and it's a waste of my fucking time to be hanging out with you right now, frankly. Yeah, 100%. So I went through a little bit of that when I did my own stuff local. Um, the first workshop I did was $100 to come to the workshop. And it was sales-centric, right? But it was more about just entrepreneurship in general. And I had five people at it and four of them were exactly what you're talking about. So I had a terrible vetting process, obviously. And what I realized is I needed to piggyback on somebody else's system because I didn't have time to create from scratch. Like you were talking about, you had to create it. And if you were running it, it fell apart. And then I found, I spoke at a Badass Business Summit, which is a Success Champions Network event that Donnie puts on. And he had me on the sales panel and then I met everybody and then I saw their systems and their marketing. And I was like, oh shit, they got their stuff together. Honestly, the best I've ever seen. And that's saying something because I've been part of a lot of high-level masterminds. And it's surprising because Donnie's just like this good old boy who has a farm and raises sheep and shit and wears boots and a ball cap to every event. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's awesome. But anyways, so once I realized, oh, they don't have a San Antonio chapter and they need to open one, it's on their roster for 24. I was like, that's perfect. And I run their systems and they have a vetting process. And it starts with a visit and then they vet from there, but they have their CRM dialed in and they run through all their process there. So by the time they go through that vetting process, they're, they're B2B, they've been in business for a few years and they're selling or doing at least a million is what I've seen in the group. And they have their own systems for it. So I'm just going to run their play. Damn. Are they outside of Texas? Yeah. Yeah. They're all over the country. They've got we might have to talk say, about that too. <laughs> yeah. I want to say 15 chapters total, uh, about 250 or so people. Damn. Yeah. If, you, if you've got a B2B section of your business, this would be great. A hundred percent. Yeah. For our local stuff, open up this kind of brick and mortar thing here and having a, a local presence again for the first time. It's all 
not all B2B. We, we take care of them on pod too, but our single point of entry, it's financial services for business owners. That's like our specialty. That's what we specialize in. Yeah. So. Yeah. They've got a few of those guys in some other chapters, but they're honestly, they're B2C and they just focus on B2B when they talk to the chapters, which right. is really, it's really B, um, but uh, they do really well in the groups. And it's total opposite of BNI. You're not going in looking for referrals. You're looking for referral partners and not even from the group. The structure is for the president to facilitate triangles of referral partners and invite them to the group so that the members can find their ideal referral partner, if right. that makes sense. Yeah. And so it's a triangle system that you set up and you intentionally invite certain industries on purpose so that it enhances the membership ROI. It's pretty, it's pretty solid. Yeah. That's legit. We'll have to it. talk about that too. A little follow up on that afterwards. Definitely. Before we wrap it up today, we've still got a few minutes left here, but I want to know, cause you've got a message. You can tell this last year, it's been so eye opening for you. You can tell it's been very vindicating in a lot of ways and fulfilling, but also heart wrenching in a lot yeah. of ways. It's been a, it's been a fucking year. Mm -hmm. And if there, if in just a few minutes, God forbid, but you stand up and then walk out of your studio there and, and. Get hit by a bus. Get hit by <laughs> or a, a tractor in my or, case. Well, you guys are having all sorts of tornadoes down there. Or I, maybe that's more DFW is having all that yeah. right now. Just God forbid something were to happen. And it was the last thing you could have shared with the world based on this last year that you've had. What all would you want to share? What would you want somebody to get from look at your life? And if they could, if you had unlimited room on your gravestone to just tell it all so that it was always there, what would it be? Peace is elusive. And it's taken me 37 years to achieve a little bit of it. I know there's a lot more that I need to learn how to achieve in terms of peace. But I think that's what we're all after. We don't know it until we really look inside ourselves to find out what's missing. And being content and peace is very hard for an entrepreneur. And But it's only going to come after that you're operating the right way. And I get it, that's different for everybody, different faith structures, different. And if that's where you find your peace, that's where you find your peace. Like It doesn't need to be the way that I do it. But I could tell you if this is the first time you're hearing about core values, Maybe it's the 20th time and you're finally deciding, hey, I think I want to implement these things and actually operate and live by them. Every mainstream and our mainstream, I should say, masterminds, coaches, consultants, all that make it sound. You just decide to operate on core values and all of a sudden your business goes up and does better. It is not a pivot point that is going to increase your business. If anything, it's a pivot point that's going to decrease it. So be ready for that. And be convicted enough and follow through. Because so many of these motherfuckers say they have these core values. And as soon as the dollar falls short, so do their values. Because they want that dollar back. You know what I'm saying? And I'm a little jaded by it because I've been hosed by them too. I've had people that I look up to invest in things or convince me to invest in something. And then come to find out a couple months ago, they sold it long before it crashed. And I've had 
people not follow through with scope of works on things I've hired them to do. I've had people preach core values one day and then be unfaithful to their spouse the next day or ignore their kids in front of me. And so I know that it's super trendy and cliche and it gives you a little dopamine hit to say it and to even say it to your company or say it to your friends or your peers. But I, I feel like it needs to have more weight to it than it does right now. And, and I was in that boat too. I did the same things. Typically when I'm coming, typically when I'm coming down on someone for this stuff, it's coming from a place of, I don't want you to make the same mistakes I did. I'm trying to save you maybe six months of grief. I'm trying to paint a realistic picture so that when you start going down this road and you actually live and operate by these things, that you're ready. You're spiritually ready. You're financially ready. You're physically ready. Because the only thing that's going to pull you out of that is preparation for what you're about to go through. But you've got to be convicted in it that you need it in the first place. And a lot of people just aren't. They're like, I'm going to throw them over on the wall and I'm going to I'm going to say our company operates by these things that I'm going to do differently like 95% of all the other companies out there. And But what I can tell you is when you start architecting that and you hold steadfast to your core values in your business and then you convert that into your life, the amount of peace and presence and fulfillment that I have now is 100x what I would have even had three years ago. And I feel like I'm going to end up being a monk at 80 years old, just completely content, sitting at the top of some hill somewhere and living out my life, doing nothing. You know what I'm saying? I feel like that's the level of, what do they call it? There's a bunch of words for it. Enlightenment. But I also know I'm just scratching the surface in my education and in my training, if that makes sense subsequent training from education and so if i'm just scratching the surface then there's a bunch of people out there that i can learn from that are there already and that speak on stages about the things that i'm talking about right now and so much more eloquently and so much more well put at least seek it out again so you're prepared for when you do make that pivot and like you were saying i could get off this call and I live out in the country, so it's very hard <laughs> to say hit by a bus. But yeah, something could happen, right? Could be driving to rugby practice tonight, get into a car accident, and be gone. Don't take too long. Don't prepare for too long. Just mentally prepare and know that you're going to face some adversity going into it. The second thing I would say is what's got me to this point to where I could reconcile my marriage is I have these very specific things that some of them probably my wife doesn't even realize that I do. To protect myself because like you said early on in our talk once an addict always an addict and so you won't find me in a room alone with another woman i just want to be above suspicion and the only way you can do that is not be alone in a room with another woman right. typically i'll at minimum open the door so people can see it when i'm on the road i really don't drink or stay out past 9 30. And that's for a specific reason. Everything I did bad in the past was because I was drinking and I was staying out past 9.30. These are very simple things when you look back. and But people aren't willing to give them up. It's crazy. Oh, you should be able to do all that. You should be able to flirt with our 
get close to the fire and not get burned. Doesn't make any sense. If I want to reduce the probability that I'm going to be unfaithful to my wife, then I need to do everything possible. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's just being human. Like, I I believe, now I'm coming from a place of conviction, but I believe every man should be doing these things. I minimize the time away for my family. That's just, I feel like every man should do that. If And then there's always these trips, right? We go on these mastermind events or whatever, and they typically end on Friday afternoon. Some of them are weekend events, sure. They typically end on Friday afternoon. If you find yourself needing to stay Friday night and Saturday and go to the breakfast and go to lunch and all that stuff, you probably should have gone home Friday evening. Mm -hmm. You probably should have minimized your nights away from your wife, your nights away from tucking your kids in and praying over them. I, I have a lot of conviction in that because I know I only have them for 18 years if I'm lucky. Now, knowing my daughter, she'll find a way to go to college at 17. <laughs> you know <what> I'm saying, <laughs> yeah, I would say have those bumper bumpers in your life. I always think of bowling, how they put the bumpers up and you can roll the ball anywhere you want. As long as those bumpers are up, you're in good shape. You know what I'm saying? And, and for me, those are just some of the bumpers I put up in my life to make sure that I'm headed down the right path. I'm going to hit them every now and then. I'm going to want to want that but have to like be honest with that temptation so that's another bumper i have if i have temptation i talk to my wife about it and it turns out if you do that and it, it, it's always the joke in marriages like not having enough sex i don't have that problem <laughs> you know what i'm saying because my wife's oh you were tempted a little bit today i want to make sure you're taken care of saying like it's very basic simple stuff like that that we try and gloss over and act like it's not a real thing it's a real thing yeah. Like men want to have sex five plus times a week. We do. So that open communication is huge in order to do that. And the last thing I would say is be a, be a man of integrity. I can't speak, I can't speak to women. So I'm always going to say men, be a man of integrity, be able to say the worst things about yourself at any given time because of your past it. The only reason you won't say it is because you're still in it. You're still doing those things. And so this is your con hit. This is your conviction to stop and start talking about it with other men first, right? Start talking about it with other men or men that you look up to in your life or men that will hold you accountable. Mm. That's huge for us. If you don't have that in your life, you need to get it and get it fast because you're on a pathway to the fire, if not. And everybody that you're around is just going to make it easier and easier for you to do the things that you're not supposed to be doing. And so put it out there, be honest about it, be honest about the struggle. You think I want to get on here and talk about this as, as early as this year, not being able to pay my bills? Hell no. But every time I say it, it convicts me more and more to, to never go through that again and to build an insanely strong foundation. And, and I do by saying this on this podcast, now I have no choice but to follow through because if not, one of your listeners may be following me six months later and I may be, maybe I took the deal that I said I would never take to pay the bills and they're going to call me out. Like, hey, you said you wouldn't do that. Now I know the likelihood of that happening is low, but at the same time, it's out there. It's I've probably more it. likely than you getting hit by a bus just so we're yes, exactly. honest about that. <laughs> and so once you put these things out there and you have integrity with them, you give them life. Right. 
And so by me saying, hey, I have these bumpers in my life, like going to bed at 9.30 when I'm traveling, if you see me out and I, it's past 9.30, you know what I'm saying? Now, without even saying anything, you're going to hold me accountable because I'm going to feel that. You know what I'm saying? Like, you said you wouldn't do this thing, and now you're doing it. And so by putting it out there, you hold yourself accountable. And people do it on social media all the time. Hey, I'm going to gonna do 75 hard. I'm making my public proclamation of it. There's words have power. And once you put them out, the universe starts working towards making those things happen. I don't think it's magical. I think it's logical. Once you say it, inadvertently, you're holding yourself accountable by telling it to other people. So logically, you're going to feel more convicted to do that thing you said you were going to do because you don't want to look like a dumbass in front of everybody. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just a little yeah. human hack. But yeah, those three things I would say, be ready to lose if you want to start operating by core values. Be uh, steadfast in your bumpers and have integrity. I can agree with all those. I will say when I got rid of my old previous agency and decided to do all this core value stuff and I went through all this turmoil, this was a few years ago and like, I'm still not out of the hot water yet per se. I'm a lot further down the road now, but you're totally right. It Life did not get easier. I just got more convicted in what I was doing in my path forward and I feel like even though I'm still not out of the hot water, I took that call right before we got on here and it's, oh shit, more hot water. Okay. Yeah. But I feel like my foundation is so much firmer. You're, you keep mentioning foundation. Oh, 25 grand, eight days, but I have the foundation to do it, right? It's okay. It's, it, it is outside the norm to do what I'm already doing plus an extra. That's outside the norm, but the tools, the resources, the contacts, the network, the integrity of like you, there was a time when, in fact, the first four or five years of my oldest boy's life, I saw him on Sundays, sometimes on Saturday a little bit, but I was so out of it. I wasn't even there. I was in the office by 5 a.m. and I wasn't home till 10, 11, 12. Most of the time- You were probably wearing that badge so proudly. Oh yeah. Sorry. Oh, you know. yeah, I was. And there, there was a moment where it was like, it was needed. It was necessary- but it wasn't needed necessary for five fucking years. Yeah. It was needed necessary for five or six months to just spin up that momentum so I could do what I need to do because I had no help doing it and I couldn't afford the help and it's okay. I got to be, it's either work two jobs here for myself or go work two jobs for someone else. But either way, I got to work yeah. two jobs. But it wasn't a five-year thing. I chose to make it a five-year thing. And it's crazy because I don't have to, I don't have to do that now. I might, I don't even think this $25,000 problem I have, I don't even think I'll come in earlier or stay in work late once for it. Frankly, I, what I'll probably do is just say, okay, for the next couple of weeks here, instead of recording three podcasts a week, I'm going to record one a week. And that just opened me up by X amount of hours. I'm going to spend those hours doing this one specific thing. Like I've already got the plan in my mind, the foundation, and then to integrity, I don't like my wife is amazing. She's put up with so much shit and she's been amazing through all this. She's been a bitch at times too, but she's not a bitch. She's acted like one. <laughs> and I was a dick and, and I still am, yeah. you know, you have those spits and those spats, but yeah. she is, she is seriously so freaking amazing. But I can't honestly say that I 
I don't believe she never had like her doubts, whether it was infidelity or just wanting to be married to me because I missed the first five years of my boy's life. Yeah. And now I'm at this place where what if I did need to come in early or work a little late for the next couple of weeks to take care of this problem? The foundations there at home at this point now, because I made that decision a few years ago and it was rough for me. It was really rough for a minute. Yeah. Um, but I believe I have her full support in it. If I need to come in early, if I need to stay late, the integrity of our relationship is so much stronger in that regard. I don't know. It's a powerful thing. It's a really powerful thing. You've laid so much out there. That's, this is probably the most powerful episode we've done just deep. Thank you, man. That means a, a lot. Thank you so much. I am. Um, dude, thank you. I didn't ask you to come on here and just put your soul into it, but you did. And I don't think guys like you and me can have conversations outside of what we just talked about. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, in the business and maybe shooting the shit a little bit, but if we talk for more than 10 minutes, it's going to end up somewhere impactful, you know? It has to. I'm done talking about dumb shit. Mm-hmm. Stuff that doesn't matter. So, dude, I will let you go. I know you got to get somewhere. Got to get to rugby, right? No, I've got another mastermind call after this. And it is rugby after that. So mastermind and then rugby. I will let you go, man. Thank you so much for being here, Doug. Absolutely. It was an honor, man. And it was a, a great conversation. You're a fantastic host, man. Thanks so much for tuning into the A to C podcast today. I appreciate you joining me on this unfiltered journey into the minds of remarkable people. I hope you enjoyed the candid conversations, the authenticity, and the insights shared. Remember, this is an ad-free podcast, so your support in sharing this with others, well, it means the world to me. If you want to stay connected with me and the podcast and be the first to know about our upcoming guests and episodes, follow me, the podcast, whatever, on social media, A to C Podcast on Facebook, and we'll get our Instagram and everything else set up uh, at cporter 389 is my own personal stuff on all platforms. Your feedback, your ideas, they're invaluable to me. Drop me a message. Um, drop the podcast a message. Share your thoughts. Let me know who you'd like to hear from next. Together, we're on this mission to explore all the facts of success and life, but be candid as hell about it. So I appreciate you. Come find me. Come follow me. And let's do some awesome things together. Appreciate y'all.